Welcome back to The Force, Florida International Bankers Association podcast on regulation and compliance excellence. I'm your host, David Schwartz, FIBA CEO and President. Today, we are speaking with our friend and FIBA member, Stanley Foodman, CEO and founder of Foodman CPA and Advisors. Stanley and I will be chatting about legislative convergence and how different regulatory agencies work together in regards to enforcement. During this conversation, we were laying out scenarios wondering what would happen if there was only one regulatory agency. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode in our FIBA podcast series, Regulatory and Related Law Enforcement Convergence. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with my good friend and FIBA member, Stanley Foodman, CEO and founder of Foodman CPAs and Advisors. Stanley, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So, interesting title, Regulatory and Related Law Enforcement Convergence. And we've had a, a couple of conversations about this, but why don't you give us a brief overview of what you mean by this convergence? So over the last several years, as I've watched the acceleration of regulatory uh, compliance movements by FinCEN, OFAC, the Department of Justice, and other regulatory agencies such as the SEC, IRS, I've noticed that started seeing and coming across more and more MOUs, the cross-training and sharing of, 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 um, of resources, human resources, database resources, and so on, to make it more effective for these, these agencies, these regulators and law enforcement agencies to control what it is they're supposed to be controlling and also to prosecute those that are violating what they're supposed to be doing uh, making it easier to 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 conduct their prosecutions, and 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 obtain the kinds of fines and other things that that they're able to obtain from all of this. You mentioned sharing of resources. In what ways are we seeing the sharing of resources? So, one of the MOUs that I saw talked about the the. Well, actually more than one, but several talked about and spoke to cross-training. You know, when I've done, years ago when I did, um, uh, when I did turnaround work at large, some medium-sized corporations, uh, we cross-trained from department to department. Different department heads were sort of moved into others so they could understand the effect that they had on other departments. This is the same sort of a thing. They are sharing, they are training each other so that they're able to help support each other in their various missions that they have to undertake. So you may see uh, IRS working with the SEC. You may see um, you may see uh, people from the FBI working with the IRS, where they might not have before under different conditions. And of course, you also would see things like FinCEN and and other organizations providing their databases and their AI capabilities to assist with all of this handling of big data that's out there, which by the way is is a key to this, is the ability to manipulate and assess and massage big data. So it sounds like regulators and law enforcement are taking a page out of what the banks used to do. Uh, when I started in banking many, many, many years ago, uh, we were all cross-trained. 
you know, bank was uh, like a school and you went from one department to another so that you would understand how a bank worked. And eventually you would wind up in one department, but it also gave you a clearer understanding of, of how the institution worked. And as you did move up the ladder, if you were fortunate enough to become uh, an executive and potentially a CEO, you had a better grasp of everything. So it kind of sounds like that's what they're doing now. Well, it's, it's, it's also happened in, in not only in banking, it was done in my profession for years in the very large CPA firms, the big, what they're now called the big four, and prior to that, the big eight. And, and some, of the, some of the other local firms or regional firms where folks are moved from department to department to give them um, a different flavor of training so that they can bring their, their training and their education to bear in different situations when it's necessary. They may not be as good as a specialist, but they can support that specialist. And, you know, we've seen this in the, the FFIEC manual, for example, which is a collaboration amongst yep. all of the agencies. And recently, we've been seeing a lot of guidance coming out um, from FinCEN, but in collaboration with the federal functional regulators. So is this the type of trend that you're talking about? It's, it's a concerning trend in the sense that I'm hoping that the industry, not only the banking industry, but corporate America is keeping up with this also because there are certain obligations that fall on corporate America also um, with regard to these other agencies that they may not be aware of. Um, there are issues dealing with foreign corruption that have begun to impact the, the banking industry in a way that it never did before. The, permission of the, the permitting of funds from corrupt activities to be deposited into financial institutions is, is becoming more closely looked at and scrutinized. And of course, we now have the, the FinCEN papers, which indicates that unfortunately, SARS are being filed. And, 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 and in some cases, I hope not too many, the institutions who filed the SARS continue to do business with the same people over and over again. Uh, continuing to file SARS, by the way. <laughs> so I, I don't know what the answers are, and it's I'm certainly uh, in favor of the industry, but I, it is it is a little bit troublesome and wor it's a little worrying. I think that uh, to, to, to just look at the, the power of, of regulators, and if they get really annoyed enough, what they can do to damage various financial institutions and individuals. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, FinCEN files aside, uh, I think that that could be a, you know, a, a complete convergence discussion of how basically it's convergence because the blame was put on everybody. Uh, banks, FinCEN, law what? enforcement, what? regulators. Right. So, so we had a convergence of blame. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because you talk about this combining of resources, sharing of resources, because that's the complaint we hear, uh, whether it's FinCEN, uh, whether it's Homeland Security, is that they don't have the funding to have those resources, um, you know. What's uh, the reason for the convergence? Well, Homeland Security, for example, says, you know, we, we are chasing these criminals 
and we're chasing movements of funds, but perfect for you, we're not accountants and we need to hire forensic accountants, but we don't have budgets to hire forensic accountants. So how do, how do we do this? How, how do we get that expertise? We borrow them from the IRS. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what they're doing. That's and exactly that, what they're doing. And that's your point to your point of convergence, you know, out mm-hmm. of necessity. When I worked for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement as a reserve agent years ago, we had a convergence going on through, through organizations like HIDA, which was the high intensity drug trafficking thing. But basically it was all these different agencies combining their, 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 their resources to try to combat drug trafficking. And then there's another one that's set up for financial crimes and aside from FinCEN. And so it, it's been going on for a long time, but I'm seeing, I'm feeling like there's an acceleration going on to some degree. And I happen to think that depending on who's governing the country, funds are provided on, on you know, based upon philosophies. Whether any of us agree with a particular philosophy or not is not important. It's just what happens. And because uh, it's the human, it's a human condition. So if we look at, um, you were mentioning, uh, well, you know, what, what, what you've seen going, I've seen IRS called into different sorts of cases where I've been a, an expert witness. I've seen the FBI called into cases which at the SEC, because the SEC doesn't have their own criminal uh, agents, they're, they're their, own, their own licensed law enforcement agents. So they bring in the FBI. So the FBI is being trained by the SEC to look at securities matters as an example. So I think it's, it's happening everywhere. And, uh, and I think you, but you brought up something really interesting when you said blaming everybody, everybody blaming everybody. A lot of it is um, having the, I think having the IT properly developed so that it trips certain switches and raises certain questions automatically. Um, I know that all of our member banks have these situations going on in their compliance departments where certain things happen and questions are asked automatically. I don't know that that's been occurring in that particular case with the amount of information, it's a huge amount of information that get the, the number of SARS, for example, that are filed every single day in the United States. I don't think that they have the resources as yet developed to fully take advantage of that information. No, they don't. And, and maybe that's something that the, the FinCEN files will actually help them with because we've seen the statistics. It's over 2 million SARS between banks and other industries that FinCEN receives annually now. And how many billions of dollars? Sorry? Billions, how many billions of dollars? And how many billions of dollars are involved? And they don't have the resources to review that. You know, we meet with the local SAR review team, which you would think, if you talk about convergence, it's made up of all these players that you've already mentioned. But, you know, you were in law enforcement before. Uh, is there is there really that good a cooperation uh, or is there still the jockeying for position in a sense of, well, who's the lead? Uh, I may be asking for help, but I'm still in charge. Well, to, to talk about, to, put tel- to inject television for a minute, whose collar is it? Yeah. Um, 
I think that when, when I was there, um, we were lending our resources and help for lots of things. But I saw when they started to develop these, these HIDAs and other things that there was local law enforcement coming in. The, generally the federal, somebody from, the, from a federal agency ran the local HIDA office. It could have been a very high, a, a high level person from state law enforcement, but, but usually, and I noticed that there was a more of a uh, collegial atmosphere because the competition had been removed. The competition had been removed from the situation. And also because all those agencies would share in the fruits of their labor when there were seizures of funds and things. So they would get distributed and, and out between the different agencies. And I think that that's, that added to it. But even so, I just, I really think that this is I think see it coming and it's happening and it's happening, I think with greater frequency and greater intensity. But I also think, I don't seem to see the IT capabilities fully developed yet to help them the way that they could be helped. And I think that that's, that's slowing up the process and perhaps hindering the process. And that was the complaint after 9-11 was that if they had those resources sharing that information uh, in the whatever level of IT they had back then, that maybe it would have led um, to better investigation and it would have triggered more alerts uh, than they did at the time. So... Uh, it wasn't only that, I think, in my, if my memory serves, David, but it was also the question of, and you touched on it before, or I did, whose collar is it? It's sort of like all these agencies were siloed they all had their little, they all had their sort of their geographic area, their, their frontiers, their borders. And it was very hard for information and people to cross borders. There was a certain feeling of proprietary, there was a certain proprietary feeling for certain things. And that may have been part of the reason when they talk about if they had had more resources, uh, whatever resources that they did have perhaps weren't being shared the way they could have been due to whatever was going on in those silos. I mean, it's just the way it seems to work or has worked in the past. We will be right back with Stanley Foodman, founder and CEO of Foodman CPA and Advisors, who is sharing his thoughts about interagency collaboration and how that affects the banking industry. Today, our guest is Stanley Foodman founder of Foodman CPA and Advisors. Today's topic is regulatory and related law enforcement convergence. We were sharing thoughts about the different law enforcement groups that are working together. What are the pitfalls? Thank you for joining us. Right, and you mentioned the, the Haida team. I mentioned SAR review team. There's also groups that we're familiar with here, the El Dorado North and now the El Dorado South uh, here in South Florida, yeah. which yeah. is comprised of you know, all of those players uh, working together. But one complaint I have heard is, you know, law enforcement will work together, we'll gather all this information, we deliver it to our prosecutorial friends and we don't get it done. And there still seems to be a little bit of tension there between the law enforcement side uh, 
and their investigations and the prosecution of the cases. I'm not so sure if that's truly still going on. I'm, I'm assuming it is, but that given that it's still going on, I'm not so sure that that the prosecutors consider necessarily consider themselves law enforcement officers, although they all carry badges. They may not fully consider themselves to be part of law enforcement at the level that that the feet on the ground law enforcement people would like them to feel. So they get it. Um, whether or not they're going to go forward is going to be a function of funds, meaning how much is at stake. Um, what can what can be seized? What are the there's political questions. There's there's questions of publicity. Is it newsworthy enough? Um, I mean, it was just a 2.8 billion dollar or 2. Point something billion dollar uh, tax case that was brought in this country from a, a very famous guy. And uh, the only reason it made the papers is it was probably two because it was 2. Point something billion dollars. It's not. It doesn't have the panache that that uh, that a Miami Vice moment has. So it's 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 hard to understand what motivates them. But once they sink their teeth into something, it's also amazing to me how they don't let go. They gnaw at that bone until they get what they want. It's just a question of which bones are they going to gnaw at. And I can understand the complaints from all the local people and the federal agents that aren't getting the responses that they want. And they're not on the inside, let's say, at, at the U.S. attorneys or the state prosecutor's offices to know why they're choosing to move certain cases forward and certain cases not, and where they are in the statutes of limitation so that they can do that. So all these things can happen. And sometimes they blow statutes of limitations and can't bring cases. And, and for a lot of, for a number of reasons, including what we talked about earlier, which is resources, funds, and what are they working on today and tomorrow? And what came first? Um, I will tell you that, that as an example, identity theft, the, the, when, when IRS had to take over the, the responsibilities for investigating identity theft, it sort of reduced the numbers of tax criminal prosecutions dramatically because the agents were so busy following around people who were stealing thousands of documents of other people's identity. And it, and it was a more of a, of a newsworthy event if one could catch somebody with five or 10,000 documents they weren't supposed to have or information and they could hit the press. Look, we saved five or 10,000 people with this and it could have been millions and millions of dollars instead of uh, prosecuting somebody who maybe didn't report $100,000 of income in one year. So there's there's all of this going on. It's all the politics of it. And, they, and look, you've known me long enough to know that I can be a bull in the china shop, but I've also learned to be a lot more, uh, word, uh, have a, to have a greater sense of understanding and uh, as to what these, these poor folks are going through in their jobs also. Well, you know, from somebody who looks at it from the outside, and I have been in a country I won't name with uh, some of our regulators uh, doing presentations on the U.S., financial system. And when they made the presentation on the structure of the supervisory authority with Vincent at the top, but delegating their supervisory responsibility to 
the OCC, the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, the SEC, FINRA, the NCUA, and they look at it and they say, well, wait a minute, we don't, we don't understand. Um, so we're talking here about convergence on the one hand, but on the other hand, we still have all of these separate regulatory bodies. And there has been talk about trying to uh, simplify the system, uh, make it a little less cumbersome and perhaps have less regulatory agencies. What do you think of that idea? Um, you're talking sort of like a super, super agency. Well, kind of like the Fed is the monetary authority, but then having, you know, regulatory body that is separate. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, we tried to do something like that with the Department of Homeland Security, if you remember, after 9-11. And it's still, and, 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 and it had some impact, but it still continues to, or did eventually erode because we're going back to people in their own jobs, in their own areas, in their own geographic areas. What, what I've had found in talking to my clients in the banking industry and down south, <clears throat> south of the border, and also other people from other things that I do, they don't really fully understand that we have a multilateral structure, regulatory structure in this country that they're not accustomed to having in their own countries. Remember that they have their financial integrity units. There's usually, it's, what, we're, what we're talking about, we talk about one super agency, they're already operating in their own countries, sort of like a super agency. But our, we, we, have, we have our local government, we have our state government, we have our federal government. And in each case, they have their own areas of responsibility and authority. And so we would have to completely change the thinking of the I think of the of the population of the United States and take away some of the uh, some of the pride, if you will, or some of the uh, nationalistic and not take it away, but sort of change it. Because look at just the state level, what it takes to get things done in the competition just between the states for resources. And I think the founding fathers, quite frankly, planned it this way so that we wouldn't have too much of a of a of an of an overarching uh, situation from the national government, I could be wrong about that, but I suspect if we read the Federalist Papers and other things, we'll see something sort of alludes to it. We've had it forever. You went to law school; you, you know it's out there, and uh, and it was designed that way. It was designed to be somewhat chaotic. I think is the right way to put it. Well, it's, it's the idea or less, or less efficient, less efficient. Right, it's the idea of checks and balances. I, I understand that, but what happens, and it's the old cliche, you know, of uh, too many cooks spoil the broth. Uh, if we have so many agencies, you're bound to have differences in how they examine and how they regulate. And yes. in South yes. Florida, we have them all, and our banks talk to us. I mean, you've heard the conversations. Uh, where one regulator tells me this, a different regulator tells me that, or, and you talked about training, we now have the case uh, this summer, and, and I understand uh, uh, COVID, people may be shorthanded, but in South Florida, for example, we're receiving um, examiners that are coming from other states. Uh, and no disparaging other states, but South Florida is a very unique market. 
So to bring me an examiner from Kentucky, who obviously doesn't see this type of movement, and sure, they understand BSA and AML, you know, they know the rules, but they don't necessarily understand what they're looking at. Um, whereas if you did have, um, maybe not one, maybe it's two agencies, I don't know, uh, you might simplify the process and have better expertise. I don't know if you'd have better expertise as much as you'd have more cultural awareness and sensitivity. Um, because <clears throat> you mentioned Kentucky, could have been any place, could have been Arkansas or Louisiana, it doesn't matter. Coming into South Florida and um, with our polyglot society here, really polyglot society, and um, trying to understand what the way we do things, you know. I banked for years at a local bank and then it got acquired and now I just moved over to another bank. And um, I noticed that, well, that the bank that took over my first bank had no idea how to do business in South Florida. South Florida is unique, I agree with you. Um, and their, their comments, the, the bank, the local people's comments to me were, that I became friendly with, was that, well, we never lost money in 2008. We were always doing great. We knew how to bank and your people, and the people down here didn't know how to bank. Okay, maybe that's, maybe there might be some truth into it, there might not. But I think there was a cultural issue going on. And what was interesting to me was, given that we're a very largely Hispanic society in South Florida, um, these were Hispanic officers of this bank who had adopted the culture of that bank once they got there. And they started speaking as if they were from like North Carolina or South Carolina. It was it was kind of interesting to watch the, the metamorphosis of the people. And um, I don't think that I'd like to see so much, you know, we have the FBI, which was our national police force. But before then, we had the postal inspectors, okay? They're the oldest federal police force. And then afterwards, we had other people. We had the DEA to deal with certain problems because we needed specialists. And then it just goes on and on. So if you want to put them all under, they all have different, if, if, we, want to, if we want to leave them having different mission statements, so to speak, right? Then we're not going to be able to accomplish what we were just talking about. This convergence is not going to be a seamless environment. There's always going to be issues unless we choose to have one super overriding police agency in this country, get rid of all of our local police, all of our state police, and essentially become something that this country was never intended to be, and I would not be in favor of. So um, I'm not so sure that we can do what it is you were talking about, not without having major cultural shifts in this country. And it's been sort of, I think it's been demonstrated at, at some level that you, the U.S. is no different in, in this in this manner than any place else. We don't like seismic shifts. We can deal with gradualism as long as it's a very slow gradualism, you know, changes. But when we have seismic shifts, it leads to a lot of anger and fear and, and reactions that are not good for the uh, smooth running of our culture and our society in this country. So 
I'm not so sure that I'm in favor of making a seismic shift to what you were talking about. Well, I'm just thinking it would be the ultimate in conversions. Well, uh, it would. It would. And they, hey, they had that in the Soviet Union, too, and I don't want to be, and I never wanted to be there. So, yes, I am. Me, are you calling me a communist? Well, I'm, I'm actually frightened, frightened of the convergence at a certain level. No, I'm, we're not talking about being communist. I'm just saying that there was, or, 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 or the People's Republic of China, the same concept. I mean, I, I don't, I like, there's an old saying where there's a little bit of chaos. It, it's good for, it's good for capitalism. There's a little bit of, there's more opportunity. And when there's too many controls, everything grinds to a halt. A, a, a famous uh, economic philosopher who invented uh, um, the libertarian perspective, she wrote that, um, she, she wrote about this and she was talking about that. And um, she came out of the Soviet Union and she was scared to death of that sort of concept. Um, and she also preferred a little bit of chaos to allow entrepreneurship to flourish and allow our country to flourish. And I, I fall on that side. I, I like being able to make a living. I like being able to go out and joust for a living. And I don't want to have, and I also don't want to criminalize every little thing that goes on in this country, which this convergence could do. I mean, we have how many, I don't remember how many separate uh, money laundering specified unlawful activities exist, but it's in the thousands now. And uh, it's frightening to me. And it's, it, so when I talked to you about convergence in our original phone call, as I was, as I was, as I was um, uh, using my, my entrepreneurial right to get a new automobile. Uh, <laughs> um, the, I was really expressing something that I'm afraid of at a certain level. We do need to control the money laundering. We do need to control the criminals and as best we can. Uh, another way to look at it though, is that they built to some degree that same money also built entire cities in this country. And um, the question is how much control is necessary and where is the tipping point? And I'm not smart enough to know, but this, can, this scares me because I don't want to see a, an overarching single agency uh, running law enforcement in this country. It just, it worries me a lot. A legitimate concern. Um, I was thinking more from the regulatory side. Well, but it, it can't, it, okay. So we'll have an, over, an overarching regulator. So so the overarching regulator, will that, will that overarching regulator have the authority to conduct criminal investigations? No, that's just what law enforcement is for. So we would have two agencies. We would, we would then have multiple law enforcement agencies and one big overarching regulator, right? That's what you're talking about? Sure. It's a little bit less threatening, but on the other hand, you know, it's, what's the expression? Regulators go to regulator school and they have generally not little or no concept of how, of how private industry has to operate and what they have to do to make a living. So, how far do you want to take it? I don't know. I do think that it, that, that it is an interesting concept, though, to have an overarching, completely separate, siloed off, Chinese wall off uh, regulator who then turns over information or evidence to a law enforcement when, a, when, 
when it believes it's warranted. Well, you know, and that's what they have in certain countries, in many countries. Sure they do. They have their financial intelligence unit, their FinCEN, that right. gathers all of this information. They don't automatically turn it over. Right. Uh, they do, in some some fashion, share that information with law enforcement. They don't necessarily share it with the prosecutors, you know, the, our, the equivalent of our U.S. attorneys, shall we say, or our district attorneys. Uh, so they do have that type of siloed system. That's not, as, that's not as frightening to me as what I thought we were talking about. If I erroneously thought we were talking about, I apologize. But I, I was really, I, I do have a fear of, uh, of that sort of tyranny that can occur. In a few minutes, we will be back with Stanley Foodman from Foodman CPA and Advisors analyzing interagency cooperation. What are some of the issues they are facing? How does this affect financial institutions? We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Force, FIBA on Regulation and Compliance Excellence. Joining us today is Stanley Foodman, CEO and founder of Foodman CPA and Advisors. I'm just saying, you know, part of we have an issue on the one side that, you know, law enforcement, FinCEN, they have a lack of resources. No question. And we have several um, agencies and it's all doing their thing, which is fine. Then we have the regulators because we have state chartered banks, we have national banks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, look, at here's a perfect example. So now we have fintechs looking for charters and we have a fight over who, which regulatory agency has the authority to make the charter, the OCC or the state. So to avoid those types of issues, and if we use again, fintech as the example, each agency has their own office of innovation. Um, each of the distinct you know, regulators, if you look, at the bank regulators versus the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau versus the SEC. They all have their own interpretation of what is a fintech, uh, what is a cryptocurrency, is it money, is it a commodity, etc. Uh, so we just think to, to avoid that type of problem and have a, a single mindset in terms of how this regulation should take place, we would converge or merge, um, you know, some of these agencies. Well, yeah, that I could almost see. I, I could, I could, I could see that. And in the case of cryptocurrency, you know, when you mention is it a is it uh, good or is it a service or is it a money? Goods and goods and services are money in our system. People may not realize it, but they are. And so we've taken to in this country, at least so far. Part of our system treats it as, as, a, as an exchange of value, you tax it, and in other systems, like in Germany, they treat it as a currency, an alternate currency. So there, but that's, that's on a worldwide basis. In our country, yeah, I think that that's, that's something, like I said, I think I could actually get behind it to some degree, because it's to eliminate confusion. I know that I hear bankers complain to me in private conversations over, well, they used to over lunch when we could have lunch in restaurants and things. 
they used to con including you <laughs> they used to con they, they they used to uh i used to hear comments about so so and somebody came in from the states regularly seeing that somebody came in from Vincent, somebody came in from the occ and i'm getting three different stories or three different opinions and so and and, and it's and it's and it's scary if i'm them i'm frightened also i when, 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 when they're in a situation where the regulators are coming in to do their job, I see bankers sort of going to almost like overdrive panic mode. I mean, they really- with good, with good reason. Um, you know, we did have a period where we had those conversations and it was improving. We weren't getting that divergence, uh, but it seems that we're back to Washington says and issues one guidance, but the field examiner walks in and looks at it in a totally different fashion. I, I think that's a training problem more than anything else. I think that it's a it's a training and then a reinforced training, constant reinforcement. Um, I think that that you know people go to regulator school, whatever school they go to, for whichever agency they go to and they learn a certain amount and then they're released they're, they're released on the public on the banks and, and so on and, and and they're going with what they know part of what they're running into is uh, perhaps not enough adequate supervision perhaps because they're stretched too thin at the supervisory and above levels but what i was talking about in the convergence i was talking about i was seeing it in terms of almost a law enforcement um issue, David. That is that um, when these, because I consider them all quasi-law enforcement agencies, even though they're not law enforcement per se, but they all have authority, just like the Florida Bar does for lawyers and so on. And it's quasi-law enforcement. And if they're in a situation where they're not all speaking with the same voice, it's an issue, and I think they've been trying to. Well, you mentioned that the the things that are coming out of FinCEN, something came out of OFAC recently. And FinCEN said, we do this and they do that. We're not the same thing. But there's crossover. And so I think they're trying to more and more speak with one voice, even though their missions are somewhat different. A lot of the same, um, in the FFIE manuals, but a lot of the same issues are there for both agencies, okay? Uh, I'll just, they're just applying them differently. One is saying, I don't want you to do business with Cuba. And the other is saying, I don't want you to do business with somebody else who's a bad guy who may be doing business with Cuba. It's like, you know, it's it's sort of like, but it's one half dozen of the other, you know? It's, yeah, it's, I think we're getting a convergence um, and it's a strategy at FinCEN uh, if you look now, so our right. director, uh, Mr. Blanco, came from the Department of Justice. There you go. He brought a few other people with him in key positions from the Department of Justice. And in the last uh, year, he has brought over people from OFAC that manages our sanctions. Regime. That's sort of what I was referring to. <laughs> so you see, we, we've made and, and they've, done it, they've done it with the SEC. I saw an SEC case that was really interesting to me. It was an FCPA case that came out that was brought by the, the SEC, actually, because 
of a violation of the requirement for a for a an entity to have accurate books and records. Okay. And the, they didn't. They used at the SEC. They they, they they used the SEC regulation to prosecute the FCPA violation, and they got a conviction. But what I'm saying, but there there's two different sets of law. There are two different laws. But remember, they all come out of the Code of Federal Regulations. And so any good prosecutor can pick and choose whichever one they want to use, providing they have the the approval of their supervisors, right, to file these cases. That's why I was in a, 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 a that's why I participated in a political corruption case that had a tax charge brought by the FBI. They lost on the tax. But here was the FBI bringing a tax charge because it's part of the Code of Federal Regulations. And there's there's where the convergence is occurring. And there may we may see, I think we may see some changes to the CFR, Code of Federal Regulations, at some point to sort of more, more closely coordinate. And it'll slowly come that way. And we may get what you suggested, which is an overarching, an overarching, um, um, regulator in an overarching uh, law enforcement. Okay. Well, Stanley, thank you again for your time, for sharing. Well, th thank you for audience. giving me the opportunity. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's been a pleasure and uh, we'll do it again soon. Good. Thank you very much. Uh, when, when, we send, when, we turn, when we turn this thing off, then you and I can talk for a minute, perhaps. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Florida International Bankers Association podcast, The Force, FIBA on Regulation and Compliance Excellence. I want to take this opportunity to invite you to register for our annual FIBA Anti-Money Laundering Compliance Conference, a 360-degree virtual experience. Three full days, 1,500 participants joining from 55 countries. The AML Compliance Conference will cover topics like human trafficking, international corruption, fireside chat with FinCEN Director Kenneth Blanco, legislative updates, innovative technologies, anti-money laundering in the security industry, ask the regulators and policymakers, and more, all adapted to our new reality. You can register at aml.fiba.net. I also want to say thank you again to Stanley for his insight, candidness, and expertise. It was a pleasure having you here. Please subscribe to our podcast by clicking on the subscribe button. I'm your host, David Schwartz, FIBA CEO and President. Until next time.